the football neophyte, where an American who knows a lot about sports but little about soccer journeys through the 2018-19 Premier League season to discover a team to root for. Welcome to the Football Neophytes podcast. Nate Hughes here in studio, if you can call this a studio, Chris Smith representing from the golf course today. Chris, how's it going out there? Uh, it's, it's going well. The Bloody Marys are flowing. The cigars are lit. We're having a good time. <laughs> I'm drinking water. <laughs> uh, that's, that's, that's what I meant. We're drinking water. Well, that's what I'm drinking, unfortunately. And we are joined today by Tyler Dunn from the Florida Man Soccer Podcast. He is representing the great club of Manchester United, though this week and recently, it probably uh, doesn't feel like the term great should be applied to the club. Tyler, how you doing, man? Uh, not too bad, boys. You know, I just got my Starbucks on a Friday here, 1 o'clock, sunny, 90 degrees. So we got one on the golf course. I'm drinking a straw strawberry refresher. You got some water. And, you know, it is great. Maybe the football from Manchester United hasn't been great, but I think we're all having great Fridays right now, aren't we? We are. I'd, I'd, be per I'd prefer to be drinking either of the beverages that you guys have, but I will, I'll drink my water. Uh, it's going to be 100 here today in Phoenix, and so uh, got to get hydrated. All right, well, let's jump right in. Tyler, you are clearly not British, or if you are, you have an amazing accent. So tell Thank us, you. how did you become a Manchester United fan? So for me, my family's from Ireland. I'm second generation Irish American. Half of my aunts and uncles born in Ireland, the other half were born here in the States. So growing up in my family, uh, depending on the branches of the family, you have in my family with the Duns and we marry them with the O'Reilly. So half of our Dunn family, they're United fans, the other half are Arsenal fans. But unfortunately, one of the Duns married into a family called the, the O'Reilly family, which are Liverpool fans. So for the last 30 years, basically my whole life, I've watched Liverpool never win the, the Premier League title. So that's been a little plus since I've been alive, you know, being 25 and watching Liverpool never win a Premier League title and growing up and watching United win 13 Premier League titles, knock Liverpool off their perch. So growing up, you know, my grandpa was a United fan all the great Irish players, Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland that played for United throughout their history. It's kind of like one of those things, you know, Georgie Best, my grandpa used to tell me stories about him. Dennis Irwin left fullback for United and obviously Roy Keane, John O'Shea and all the great Northern Irish players as well. Johnny Evans, who've had good, you know, impacts as well at the club. So, you know, you know, the United have always had this cool UK Republic of Ireland, Northern Ireland kind of vibe about the club. And, you know, it transcends over the uh, English Channel into Ireland. Got it. There you go. Well, as a as a uh, new fan of Premier League, I mean, it's 2019. This is the first season I've ever watched a Premier League. Um, really? Yeah, first season. I mean, that's why I'm doing this podcast to try and you <laughs> know, find a team to support my first year. And so it's fascinating to me. I learned a lot. But what's fascinating is you've got – what would seem to be the natural rival for man, man, you being city, right? If you just step yeah. in right now, you've got yeah. the, the best team, uh, local Derby, but as I understand it, right, really Liverpool would be who you would consider your, your rival. Is that true? Well, it's a very interesting little, little 
like those kind of things, right? Like Liverpool and United, you think about them as rivals, right? But their rivalry isn't based like Everton and Liverpool. It isn't a local derby. It isn't, you know, you know, that Merseyside derby. It isn't locals. It isn't red versus blue like it is Man United versus Man City. Yeah. United and Liverpool are intertwined because of the history of the two clubs. Both teams have won the most Premier League titles of any of the clubs, you know, your uh, Premier League titles, but first division titles, United with 20, yeah. Liverpool with 18. Very famous and ingrained there. Liverpool with five European Cups, United with three uh, Champions Leagues as well, and one Europa League. So both of those clubs, historically, trophy-wise, they're the most decorated clubs in the land. When it comes to City, uh, they're the local rival. Sir Alex pegged them at one point, the noisy neighbors, right? Uh, in this last 10 to 12 years, uh, the influx of money, the people call it oil money. They come from, you know, from the Middle East. They came in and they built up this club, right? They yep. spent a lot of money. They had, you know, back in the early 2000s, you know, Florentino Perez at Real Madrid, he had these Galacticos. And then Man City kind of took those Galacticos in the beginning phases of the late 2000s. And he was buying the Tevezes and the Robinhos and all these high marquee players at high prices, but they didn't work, right? We've seen it with United recently, Alexis Sanchez, Juan Mata, right. these Galactico-esque players, but they didn't win them titles. They didn't buy a team. They just bought individuals. And they struggled in the first couple of years. You know, they won the FA Cup. I think it was in 2011. United, I think, won uh, their 19th league title on the day they won their FA Cup, which was kind of an interesting one. There was more people at, at the Blackburn game than there was at the City game at <laughs> Wembley Stadium. But ne- neither here nor there. But locally. You know, the bigger rival currently, I would say it is United in City, just based, like, as you mentioned, your neophyte, people that don't know what that word means, it means beginner. Uh, right now, if you were to look at it from the lenses, it's United in City, but historically, it's always been Liverpool and United. And a little fun fact for you, one of United's other big rivals is Leeds United, who haven't been in the Premier League for, I think, for almost a decade now, that is also a famous rivalry with United. It's also a big rivalry that you haven't seen since the 90s and early 2000s. And with their potential promotion, United will have three fierce rivals back in the Premier League, which would be very cool for United and a lot of younger United fans who don't actually know the history of Leeds versus Man United as well. Yeah, it seems like Leeds, I've been keeping my eye on the championship a little bit just to see who's coming up. And Leeds appeared to have it on lock but they've been stumbling a little bit lately so yep. to see what happens but but let's get back to man U. yeah uh, tell us a bit of the history obviously it's a storied history and we could probably do a full season or two seasons on the history of man U. <laughs> give us give us some highlights we'll, we'll get we'll go with the summary obviously the famous uh matt busby and jimmy murphy which if you check out wearethebusbyboys.com, which is one of the sites I'm a part of, which is ran by Wayne Barton. He's an author. He's written so many great books. He had a documentary that recently come out in BT Sports called Too Good to Go Down, which you know accompanies his book, which talks about United uh, post-1968. They won the European Cup 10 years after the Munich air disaster, which was a very transcending you know, situation. Yeah, uh, the tragedy that, 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 I read a little bit about that ahead of time, but definitely tell us about that. The Munich Air Disaster United, you know, they were playing European football at the time. Uh, They were rushing to get back home from, you know, Eastern Europe. They were rushing back then, you know, in England. uh, The league was more important than, you know, the European competition. So United were rushing back and they had to make a stop, obviously. 
in Germany fuel up and then they retook off and the plane didn't take off. Harry Greggs, which was the goalkeeper at the time, he went back into the plane and rescued a few players and a few of the passengers on the plane. Uh, the club lost one of the most, most famous players, one of the most beloved players, uh, Duncan Edwards, who was, you know, this generational talent, could play every position better than everybody, you know, wonderful player. And Matt Busby's goal was to win a European Cup, and he was on his way to win a European Cup, and the tragedy happened. Real Madrid, they offered to loan players there. And, you know, United said no. They went on to the FA Cup final that year. They lost the FA Cup final with their famous assistant, Jimmy Murphy, who is one of the famed people at United. They have a, their academy. Oh, the academy player of the year is named after him. And he has the training ground as well where the youth players train at called Jimmy Murphy's. You know, he's got a statue and everything. So he has such an important fabric to the club as well, as much as uh, Matt Busby. Ten years later, they win the European Cup against Benfica, 4-1 in extra time. Bass, Law, and Charlton the Holy Trinity, you know, our most famous players, you know, yep. Sir Bobby Charlton, who attends every game. You see him at every single football match. And then, obviously, 10 years later, United get relegated to the second division. Who would have thought it? You know, United, this famous club, win the European Cup, get relegated. They get back up. They go through some transition, kind of what we've seen right now, right? You know, United have had an, had an experienced manager, and he couldn't get the job done. They bring another manager in. He His tactics didn't align with what the club has, like Mourinho. Ole comes in, kind of like, you know, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson, who has this, you know, you know, young manager that won in a different league, has a connection with the club, and, you know, very positive, wants to play attacking football. And then obviously he transcended him, won 13 Premier League titles, two European Cups, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, yeah, the club is so famous. There's so many moments. There's so many ups and downs, right? You know, we mentioned when Sir Alex took over, United had seven league titles. Liverpool had 18 in 1986. And he said in his press conference he would knock them off his perch. That was his goal, and that's what he achieved. So yeah. United had such a famous history. There's so many things you can do. You can jump from one moment to the other moment to the other moment. They've had their ups. They've had their downs. But the one thing that's always been consistent is their academy, always having a youth team player in the squad which means the 18 you know it's important to them you know your Jesse Lingards your Paul Pogba's you know your Scott McTominay's your Andreas Pierras you know these players are important James Gardner's you know Mason Greenwood academy players it's the one thing that from Matt Busby to Sir Alex to Ole now that's like the most important thing is having kids come through the academy and be these transcending stars like the class of 92. So Pogba is a is an academy yeah. guy. Yeah, so... I had no he, idea. Yeah, so Pogba, he came through the academy. He was a part of the famous 2011 FA Youth Cup team, which uh, had Jesse Lingard, Will, Will Keane, Michael Keane, who plays for Everton as a center back. They came through the academy. Uh, Ray Bell Morrison, who was this once-in-a-generation of talent that got in a lot of trouble in his career, just never took off, who now plays this football in Sweden. He had a stint in Mexico as well. Wow. So they've had some really good players and some really good academy graduates. But, yeah, Pogba came through the academy, U18 player. He came to the club, and then uh, he left and went to Juventus, and then United bought him back. But that's just one of those things, especially with Brexit going on, having academy graduates in the squad, which is kind of like a primary league thing. Having your superstar be academy graduate is important. Instead of having to, you know, have players that aren't going to contribute week in, week out, like you see at other big clubs. Yeah, so it seems like that makes the, some of these rumors of Pogba leaving a bit uh, disheartening or disappointing, right? 
See, it's kind of an interesting one, right? Sir Alex came out and he, when he wrote his books after he retired, he talked about Pogba and how they offered him a contract and he wanted more money. But I think he wanted playing time too. There was a famous game that United played six defenders and left Pogba on the bench. And Pogba cited that as the game, which was an FA Cup six-round game against Arsenal, which United won, by the way, at home. But he felt like he should have played in that game. And depending on who you listen to and, you know, reading through the smoke, you know, I think Pogba knew he may never be the guy that he wanted to be. And I think going to Juventus, I think he saw an opportunity where the pressure wouldn't be on, the spotlight wouldn't be on like it is at United. Think about it. He has had his best statistical year, but he will still be under the microscope when he has a bad game. A little different when you play for Juventus and you have Chiellini, Benucci, Carlos Tevez was in that team, Morata was in that team. You know, a lot of great stars were in that team. Pirlo, uh, Vidal, Marquisio. You know, it was a team that was stacked that made it to a European yeah. Cup final. He was just one of the cogs in the wheel. He wasn't the guy. So for me, with, with Pogba, he's left before. And if he leaves again, would I, be hard, would I be upset? A little bit. But I know that in this current market, he would get – he would fetch a hundred plus million fee. I don't know if he's good enough to be a leader in the locker room that could lead you to a Premier League title or a European Cup by himself. We've seen yeah. him with France. He's had great players surrounded by him and he's been able to succeed, but he's been able to go under the radar as well when he has other stars around him. Sometimes when he has to be, you know, the guy, I don't think he's able to do it. Going back to his youth career, he would have one great game, one okay game, and a game that he disappears in his professional career at United. We've seen the games where he's had an incredible game against Chelsea, an incredible game against City, and then he's had games against those same teams where he was anonymous or he wasn't there or he didn't contribute enough. That's just been his professional career. A great game, an okay game, and a game where he was non-existent. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit. I want to go back to some of the history. I want you to talk about Old Trafford a little bit. Obviously, well, maybe not obviously, but for, for us, uh, these iconic stadiums are, are interesting to me. I mean, I love, I'm a huge baseball fan. So I love Wrigley. I love Fenway, uh, the old Yankee Stadium. I'm thankful I got to go to all three of those or I've been to all three of those. Um, and so I feel the same about these, these iconic uh, uh, soccer stadium, football stadium. Yeah. You know, you see uh, White Hart Lane is no more in this amazing, beautiful, new state-of-the-art stadium for the Spurs, but it feels like the beauty of soccer are these older stadiums. So talk about Old Trafford a little bit. How much of it is still, I mean, I'm sure not much of it's original, but tell me a bit more of that, the history of that stadium. I mean, it is a tremendous stadium. United East played uh, a stadium called Main Road which City also played at at one point that hosted, you know, over 80,000 people attended games. At Old Trafford, it was dubbed by Sir Bobby Charlton as the theater of dreams. It's the mecca of football, right? You go there, it's 76,000. And before Spurs opened their stadium and before, you know, Liverpool put their extension on their stadium, United Stadium has always been the biggest stadium in England. Uh -huh. You know, that's the, it's one of the Premier League grounds, you know, to take a word from the league. It's, it's a ground that in European football, like the Bernabeu, like Camp Nou, you go there and it's history. Like Roma Stadium, the Coliseum, the Stadio Olimpico, you go there and it's just, there's history. There's moments, there's iconic moments. You remember Ronaldo with Real Madrid and he scored the hat trick and he gets cheered off because of it, scoring a hat trick. 
you don't yeah. see that opposition players be cheered off. We've sure. seen many great performances from Wayne Rooney, Robin Van Persie, all the way down to the legends before him, Eric Cantona, all the way into the 70s and 60s and 50s, the great legends, Bobby Charlton, Georgie Best, Dennis Law, these great players. You know, somebody that I'm always a big fan of, Gordon Hill Club legend who also contributes with We Are the Busby Boys, uh, you know, FA Cup winner for the club. Just a tremendous generational talent he was in the 80s you know Brian Robson these great iconic English players and European players they they played their football there and it's just one of those stadiums you go to Neymar played in the Olympics in 2012 and he talked about how he loved playing there he scored a hat trick in the 2012 London Olympics which huh. obviously Manchester's not in London but he played yeah. the Olympic there and he scored a hat trick it's just a famous ground that had so many famous moments you mentioned White Hart Lane which was a great ground but it wasn't, there wasn't many moments, you know, Arsenal's former ground, Highbury, that had so many great moments from Terry Henry and Bergkamp and Piers. It was just such a great ground, these old school grounds. Villa were in the championship. Villa Park is a great ground. They used to play semifinals and finals there before New Wembley opened up. There's so many great stadiums in English football that just haven't been able to been showcased because some of those great grounds are also in the championship. But it's a, a tremendous ground, Old Trafford. It's the theater of dreams. And Every footballer wants to play there and every footballer wants to score there because Manchester United, it's the standard and their stadium is the standard. And if you score against United and you score at Old Trafford, you can make yourself famous and your fans will sing your name for generations. You watch all those famous players from the 90s and the 80s. When last time United were beaten by this team was in the 1980s and the player that scored the winning goal, he's in the director's box watching United play against that team. Uh -huh. Because when you play against United, you're the biggest team, even when they're not at their best. It's more important for them to beat United than it is to beat a City or Chelsea or Spurs or an Arsenal or a Liverpool yeah. because they're the biggest club in the land, even when they're not at their best. Yeah, that makes sense. So as we talk about this storied history of, of this club, I mean, in some ways, Man U, and I don't know if everyone would make this this. Uh, connection but Man U feels like the Yankees right like the iconic club of the of the sport how do you feel about the Chevy logo being on the front of the kit I just it seems wrong to me you know the one the more the team that I would make the parallel more with and not the Yankees I would go with the Patriots since Tom Brady and Belichick have taken over right they systematically have had the best manager, which was Sir Alex Ferguson, and they always had some of the best strikers and some of the best defenders in that Belichick, you know, Brady era in that 20-year period, six Super Bowls, no quarterback, no head coach has ever done it. Like the Yankees, obviously, they've won the championships. They spend the money, but United haven't always been the highest spenders. They, you know, they spent a lot of money, but they've, like, not like the Yankees. The Yankees have always outspended, like, Man City or Real Madrid or Barcelona. They always spend a lot of money. But I would say more like the Patriots, where they Got always it. were methodical like that. But very similar. I, like, I, I see it. Obviously, I can connect with it. But I see more Patriots than I do uh, Yankees, Yankees because I think the Patriots are just a tad bit more hated than the Yankees nowadays. But that's just me. I don't know. I think the Patriots are a little bit more hated than American culture. So I think, I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. I think maybe I'm associated more with like the history, right. Yeah. The, and the icon of the, of the club rather than even the, yeah. the success. Yeah. And when you talk about the Chevy logo, you know, obviously you know, had had 
you know, AI and AIG, you know, insurance companies, big American financial companies. And when you see the Chevy logo, it's just kind of an odd one. But when you get over 46 million pounds, and which equates to like, what, 16 million American, uh, the Glazer family, who also own the Buccaneers, they love a good paycheck. And when people want to pay him 60 million, and it's also an American company. I mean, the Glazers don't care. That's just lying in their pockets. So yep. I know it, look, it looks funky in a logo. Like you see car logos on jerseys. It just kind of doesn't look normal. But, you know, when it lines up the pockets and it makes the club rich, I mean, it doesn't bother me. But it is, hey, hey, I guy. agree with you, it is a funky thing. Oh, Chris, Chris, so, Chris is still here. Chris, say something. I, yeah, I'm here. Well, I'm just trying to figure out. We're 20 minutes into this, and we haven't mentioned David Beckham yet. I'm totally confused. It's okay. You know, the weird thing you mentioned back in me comes from the class in 92, obviously famous icon in American soccer. He has the Miami FC team coming up or inter Miami coming up. But, you know, I think here's a, a little hot take for you guys. At one point, I think David Beckham was a top three player at United during their trouble winning season in 1999. I think he was one of the most important players at United at the time. And I think a lot of people talk about Keane, Skulls, Giggs, you know, York and Cole. But I think David Beckham was a top three player when they went on to win the treble. So there's my David Beckham love for you. There it is. Well, we all love. We all love David. I mean, he, he, he's a beautiful man. Obviously, he's a man rocket. Just a gorgeous looking human being, icon. But when he comes to United, I mean, he was a London boy who grew up a United fan, kind of like, like, kind of like you know us Americans. You know, we saw United or you saw a team and you just fell in love with it because of the team itself. And yeah. Beckham is just like us. He was a London boy. And he loved United because his dad loved United. I'm wondering, do you think his, the inspiration for the, the uh, Inter-Miami inter black and pink, do you think it, he was inspired by these uh, pink away kits from this year? <laughs> I think when it, when it comes – I don't think so. I think the whole pink scheme, you know, if you look a few years back, uh, Adidas also did the kits for Juventus, and they had a similar pink jersey as well. I think they're just recycling. But when it comes to that black and pink for Inter Miami, we all know that in American soccer and American pop culture, if you have a logo and color scheme that looks cool on a hat, looks cool on a T-shirt, people are going to buy that shirt. It doesn't matter if you're a fan of the team or the fan of the sport. If you've got a cool logo and cool colors, people are going to buy those hats, buy those T-shirts off the shelves. It doesn't matter because if it looks good on you, people are going to buy it. And I think Inter Miami and David Beckham, they know how to sell stuff. Yeah, you're right. Those, I mean, the kits look great, you know, with what they've seen or the logo it's, and it's like what they did with LAFC too. LAFC has a great looking, a great looking logo. They got a good kit too. The black and gold, it just looks nice. It just looks, looks good. it looks, it looks fire as the kids would say, fire emoji. They would fire emoji. There we go. Okay, so let's let's move to some current some current talk about the club. Uh, obviously, this season has been a bit of a dumpster fire, and it feels like forever ago that Jose was the manager. How, what <laughs> do you, I mean, it's just let's talk a little bit about Jose, um, and then the transition to Ole. And I don't even know how to say his last name, so I'm not even going to pretend. But uh, Talk a little bit about that. How, what are your feelings about Jose leaving, Ole coming in, and the current, like, you know, troubles around that where people feel like they gave him a contract too soon and has he really proved himself? Go, Yeah, just talk about that. Okay, we'll start with Jose. Jose Mourinho, one of the most 
uh, famous, most decorated managers in European football, Porto, Real Madrid, Chelsea, obviously Man United as well. He's won trophies everywhere he's gone. European Cups with two different teams. Inter, he won the treble before Juventus regained their stranglehold on Italian football. He won the treble there. You wow. know, and he had a famous mo- moment when they won 2-1 at, U- at you know, the Juventus Stadium, and he did the three to signal that he won the treble. Famous manager, but he's also one of those managers that it's me, 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 but when everything goes wrong, it's you, 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 you. Yep. And Jose is a serial winner, but the team was never really built in the stature he wanted, right? You look at this United team last week, there were still four or five players that started that were signed by Sir Alex Ferguson. And you have players from Louis Van Hall, and you still have players from David Moyes and himself. You have four different managers, players in a team. Sir Alex retired in 2013. None of these managers were able to really build a team in their ilk or build a team in their stature. This, you know, to give Jose Mourinho the benefit of the doubt, you know, you can do it now with hindsight being 2020. His football never really coincided with United's football, right? You know, it's a 4-4-2, yeah. a 4-2-3-1, attacking football, two strikers, an attacking striker, and a player, and, attack, and, you know, a number 10 behind him. That's United way, two wingers. You go out, you want to win games 3-1, 3-2, 4-1, 4-2. That's the United way. Jose always said his fa- the best result in football is a 1-0 game where you keep a clean sheet and you, make, and you can hit him on the counterattack, right? Yep. But his team's never really had that. Pogba was a star player, but Pogba doesn't – if you think of a Jose Mourinho player, you think of Frank Lampard, for example, Wesley uh-huh. Schneider. Those players – could score goals, but they were willing to put the work in at the back end, right? Yeah. He always had a great number six or a great defensive holding midfielder. His Chelsea days, he had Nemanja Matic. Uh, you look at his first, you know, you know, his first run at Chelsea, you know, Balak, for example, just incredible players. You go all the way back up to Real Madrid. And, you know, he had Xavi Alonso in that position, Kadira. He had these great holding midfielders, great defenses, and I, I can go through all the world-class defenders that he had. And you look at United, that team was never really a Jose Mourinho team, but his, sta- his tactics and his attitude and his demeanor in season three, it just kind of imploded. You know, he has an attitude issue. He's showing up unshaved, 5 o'clock shadow. He's a miserable guy. It just – it was a culmination of he didn't get what he wanted – the players weren't what he wanted. He won two trophies. He, he's, you know, in his relative success, three, two and a half seasons, two trophies, you know, he can go back and say, you know what? I did this, this, and that, and look at what happened after I left. It was yep. a shit show after I left. Yeah. But that also goes up to the recruitment from United all the way since Sir Alex has retired. They spent $800 million in their sixth place in the Premier League. Four managers later, it's an issue. Yeah. But the transition to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, you know, one of a, a club legend scored the famous 99 uh, Champions League final winner in the third extra minute from a David Beckham cross to shout out David Beckham one more time. Uh, he <laughs> comes in, they have this hot start, right? But when a team is such in a hole, like when he took over and they blitzed the league for three months, they were great for three months, right? From yep. the middle of December to the end of March, they were great. Yep. What happens. You give them three great months and a team that wasn't really conditioned, wasn't really a hardworking team, and they put all their eggs in a basket, they catch all the way up, right? They make up this 11-point gap on top four. Remember, they were 11 points behind Arsenal when he took over. They're, yeah. they're three points behind Arsenal right now for fourth. 
you know, three games left. They were in a deficit going into Christmas, and they they did make up ground. And people could talk about they made the appointment too early, this, this, and that. The season ended for United when they beat Paris Saint-Germain, right? They have that historic comeback. They turn it yeah. around for him to do it. For them, that was the culmination of, of Oli's good work, that three-month period where they did it, right? There was no Poba. There was no Herrera. No Matic was Andreas. It was McTominay. And it was Fred. It was two academy graduates in midfield. There wasn't their star midfielder, Pogba. It was Rashford and McTominay. That's who did it, right? That was – and it was a cool moment. But their season ended there, and their form started slipping there. And after the Arsenal game where they dominated Arsenal, but they didn't finish their chances, that was when it started turning around. But still three points out. Realistically, they could still get top four. But obviously the last two performances, losing six points the last six, you know, six games, you know, losing eight out of their last ten. You know, when you put the pedal to the metal in a marathon, you run 26 miles and you put everything in your basket for 20 miles, you still got a 10K to go and you still got six miles and you're just dying to get to the finish line. Yeah. So I think Ole, he did a great job when you look at it in that context where he did make up an 11-point gap, but the players kind of lost their motor, players' heads, you know, is their future clear? Pogba's thinking about leaving. De Gea doesn't know if he's staying. Herrera looks like he's leaving. He doesn't have his team, and I think for United, he's built up such a cachet being this famous club legend that now you see all these issues with the squad and the attitude. What's going to happen as a fan? Are you going to turn on Ole, who scored the most famous goal, treble winner, champ, Champions League winner, FA Cup, won every trophy in the lot, who's this beloved character at the club? Or are you going to turn on Anthony Martial? Are you going to look at Paul Pogba and wonder, wow, he did this to Mourinho. Now he's doing this to Oli. Yeah. Like the fans are going to regurgitate that. Be like, no, 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 no. We're not turning on Oli. We're going to, they start. So the lens has now been turned at, it was Jose Mourinho's fault. Now it's been turned on to the players. Why aren't you turning up week in and week out? Yep. So what's, what are the next steps? I mean, obviously Europa isn't the goal for this club, right? That's not the expectation that they have. You're, you're winning bigger titles than, than that as you know in your history so what what do you see the next steps are who should stay who would who would you want to bring in what do you see as as the future of this club so I think this is a huge summer for United right they they have the blueprint we know we, we know what's going to happen right we know Rojo and Darmian for example they're probably going to leave we know Herrera is going to leave to go to PSG or go back to Athletic Bilbao where he came from we know that you're going to see an exodus from this club, right? We're going to see players leave. And I think it's going to finally be an opportunity that Edward Ward, who's, who's directed from the Glazer family, from the financial department, it's top four, right? That's, that's yeah. his, you know, they've not, they're not a football club. They're a business. That is how the Glazers look at it because they are one of the biggest brands. They make so much money sponsorship wise in the Glazers eyes. They could care less if United win the champion you know, win the league, win the Champions League, or finish fourth. If they finish fourth, they get the Champions League revenue. They get, they're always one of the highest earners in the Champions League because of that. And the Glazers don't care. That's the problem. Ed Woodward isn't a football guy. He's a business guy. He was one of the guys that helped, you know, coordinate the sale to the Glazer family back in the mid-2000s. And, you know, he was the guy that, you know, dotted the I's and crossed the T's to make that deal happen for the Glazers. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see what they do, but I know that they're looking to appoint a technical director. It could be Mike Phelan, it could be 
somebody else. I know they're going to be looking to fill some roles, right? Antonio Valencia, 10 years at the club, he's leaving as well. There's a lot of open spots. Pogba could leave, De Gea could leave. And United aren't afraid to spend money. And if they're going to lose these players as well, they're going to have a huge amount of money. Yeah. And if only able to patch up some spots in this window next in the following year, patch up some other spots. I know he knows he's not going to be able to fix the central defense, fix the right back situation, maybe get a different striker. I know that going forward, he's going to fix something. And they're going to spend a lot of money. And I wouldn't be surprised if this team within two years looks like Ole's team. But I know it's going to be a process. They're in a complete transition. You know, you need to get rid of four different managers' players and let one manager build a team instead of taking pieces from different puzzles and just throw them together and hope they work because we all know it hasn't worked. They haven't won the Premier League title since 2013. City's winning. Liverpool are contending. And Liverpool's XI is one of the best in the league. And they're able to now add to that bench and just build that bench to build their credentials to probably win the Premier League potentially next year or the year after that. Yeah. And then you've got, I mean, Arsenal seems to to be... Arsenal, the Arsenal, Arsenal team, seems... that's, that's interesting, right? Because you mentioned Arsenal. Arsenal's kind of like United. All they care about is top four. And you're not going to see Arsenal really financially out-muscle United. Their owners don't care. It's just top four. They're not trying to win the league. Kroenke's just trying to make sure they win money. That's yeah. all he cares about. Kroenke doesn't give a crap about the Arsenal. He does not at all. It's like the Glazers. They don't care either. But the Glazers are forced to open up their pockets because yeah. they make so much money to spend on players. And they know probably now after six years after David Gill and Sir Alex is retired, they need to build a good football product on the field to make sure they can contain top four consistently. Because I know Arsenal aren't going to get to top four as well. They're going to miss out on top four. I'm pretty certain of that. Yep. Chris, um, I know you had, you had some super important questions you wanted to ask. Now's your time. I, I do. I appreciate you guys just, you know, scratching the surface of things here. Um, but we need to get, we need to get into the heart, the meat of Manchester United. So look, I, I unashamedly have two man crushes in my life and they're on Justin Timberlake and Conor McGregor. And both those guys profess to be huge Manchester United fans. Um, so here's my question. Um, do you like the fact that there's a lot of celebrities that cheer for your team or supposedly root for your team? Or would you rather it be kind of like um, a smaller club that has a, you know, a less popular fan base but a more diehard fan base? So when it comes to United, you know, it's interesting, right? You have these celebrities that like to say, oh, we support this team and that team and yada, yada, yada. And it comes to United, they do have like a hardcore base, right? They are traveling fans. They travel all over the world to go see United play. You know, good away crowds. But obviously United Stadium has become a tourist attraction, right? Just like Barcelona is just like Real Madrid. So sometimes that home atmosphere isn't as great because what happens when you're a big club? Sometimes you outprice families and then you outprice some of the local people because people are traveling to see them play. And you also got to remember uh, Neil Patrick Harris. He's also a big United fan. He likes to wear Manchester City jerseys, but he's also a big Man United fan too. I can uh, retweet that on my Twitter too. That's what he do on any if you want to check that out. Big United <laughs> fan wearing a Manchester City jersey. Uh, but it's, it's always kind of interesting, right? Because you have John Bradley from Game of Thrones. He's Samuel Tarley. He's a United fan. Kit Harrington as well. He's a Man United fan. And they visited them in the summertime. They go to the training ground. So it's always kind of cool when you can, like, see people from pop culture just pop up at the United training ground and be like, hey, by the way, 
I'm hanging out at the stadium and they do like Instagram takeovers and Twitter takeovers and they answer questions and they do all these cool video and content. So I think it's kind of cool and interesting. You know, like it doesn't bother me that Conor McGregor's a Man United fan. It's kind of cool. Like if you randomly see him tweet like, fuck yeah, mate. Fucking Man United is just fucking shit stumped these motherfuckers. Like, it doesn't bother me. <laughs> you know, right? Like, it'd be, it's, it's cool. Like, if Conor McGregor just pops up and says, fuck yeah, fuck these guys, fuck City, we'll fucking stop their fucking heads in, we're going to throw a fucking can at a fucking bus next time when we play them. Like, that shit doesn't bother me. Like, I think that's cool. Like, if they randomly tweet out. Like, that's cool. For me. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, yeah, three of my favorite people our big Manchester United fans and you know I already said Timberlake and uh and obviously Connor who's I'm a huge UFC guy and Connor is my my favorite uh but also Winston Marshall who's the guitarist for Mumford and Sons who are my favorite band and music group um he's also a diehard Manchester United fan so as a as a fan as someone who has cheered for this team for a while uh would you look down on me if I cheered for your team just because those three of my favorite people cheer for them as well. Oh, absolutely not. You know, I, I don't, like, I tell people all the time, you know, it's kind of cool, right? You, it's like, they're podcasts. It's neophytes, right? You guys are beginners as your first full season, like Nate mentioned, watching the Premier League. Like, if like at the end of this year, he, like, interviews all of us, you know, Spurs fans, City fans. I don't know if there's any City fans out there. Uh, Chelsea fans before 2004. I don't know if those exist either. Uh, it's kind of cool, right? Like, if you fall in love because a celebrity does and you just become a United fan because of it, I think that's kind of cool. Like, I have a friend named Gabe, and, you know, we used to play FIFA all the time, and United just used to shit-stomp the league back in the early 2000s. You know, we played, like, Ultimate Team. And he became a Liverpool fan because he hated United so much because they won. <laughs> that's awesome. I mean, I, oh, yeah, he became a Liverpool fan. And, you know, like, you know, United lost 4-0 to Everton, right? And he shit-talks me. And I'm like, bro, you're in second place. Like, you're not going to win any trophies this year. Like, why are you shit talking? We might have lost. We'll finish sixth, but we get the same amount of trophies you get for finishing sixth as you do finishing second. That's a fact. And that, and then that shuts the Liverpool fans up and shuts up the other fans. So I don't yeah. care if your if your favorite celebrity is like United and you watch the team because of fuck yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Cool. I I just don't want to be judged. I'm I live in a judgment free zone and okay. uh... judgment free zone. The three of us. No one's listening right now. It's just the three of us. Just remember that judgment free zone. Totally. And it, the good the good news is in four days or whenever Nate produces this, it's still going to be only the three of us listening to this. So that's, that's awesome. True. That's don't true. say that. Don't that's say that. <laughs> All right, Tyler. Well, each week we do a uh, term of the week to help us understand this this uh worldwide sport with so many terms that are thoroughly british and when we watch the match we can barely understand the the commentators so uh go ahead go ahead and hit us with uh this week's term of the week okay our term of the week we're gonna you know we're gonna keep it you know we're at the end of the championship season they got two games left right uh the team that looks like the most likely team to be promoted automatically is Norwich City. And we would term Norwich City as a yo-yo club, which means they're a team that gets promoted and then get relegated. Get promoted, then get relegated. Norwich City, I think, in the last 10 years, I think they've won the championship or finished second, which gives them automatic promotion. I think it's like two or three times. And, you know, to answer a question, I believe Elton John, of all people, is a Norwich City fan. If I believe correctly, Elton John is a famous celebrity that supports Norwich City. So No, isn't uh... – who is it, Chris? Who's the Elton John is Watford? 
Is it Watford? It is what he used oh. to own Watford. So right. we'll, we'll we'll scratch that from the record. We're gonna we're gonna say that's <laughs> fake news. Watford doesn't exist. It's gonna be North City because North is in the middle of nowhere. They were yellow and blue or yellow and green, but they're a yo-yo club. They get promoted, they get relegated, and you see them in the, you see them in the Premier League for a year and then they go down. You come back up, they go down. So we would call them a yo-yo club. You know, it's kind of like it's cool to see like teams like that get promoted. But one team I'm very interested in seeing back in the Premier League, which we haven't seen in a long time, is Sheffield United, who I don't think have been in the first division for at least 15 years. So that's wow. one of those cool teams that, as well, which we haven't seen recently. And for Premier League fans from one year or 10 years or 20 years, it's always cool when you see a team that hasn't been in the Premier League. It's another new ground for fans to travel to or fans who have traveled to that ground who haven't been there in a long time. So. Yo-Yo Club. That will be your UK term, British term, British slang, British vernacular term of the week. From Perfect. Tyler, this has been really great. Great to cover Man U um, and wish the best to you and your club over the next uh, few weeks. Remind everyone uh, how they can follow you on Twitter and in the cyber space. <laughs> All right. In the cyber space, you can follow me on Twitter, tdunfoody, D-U-N-N-E. On Twitter, you know, if I don't get back to you, it isn't because I don't like you. It's because I had to turn my notifications off because the site I work for, we are the Busby Boys. We can, we, you know, produce so much content. We have so much Twitter interaction that one of us could post on the Twitter link and then you could have 35 notifications and you have nothing to do with those notifications. So it slows <laughs> up your phone. So I know probably Nate was DMing me thinking like, okay, is this asshole going to respond back to me? It's because I had to turn my notifications off because there's five of us that run a Twitter account. And if somebody's feeling pretty active on the social media, WAT Busby boys on Twitter, uh, someone's feeling pretty active. Like for example, like Anthony Martial, what do you think of him? Or like Roy Keane, is he a crazy lunatic or is he spot on about Paul Pogba? But like if someone gets into that, one of those moods, it can spark a interaction chain. So you can check us out there. We are the BusbyBoys.com. We have an archive of every reserve game dating back to the 1940s. Cool little <laughs> database if you're a United wow. fan. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was once the reserve manager. And you can also check out his time in charge of the academy graduates and the reserve team back in the day in the late 2000s, early 2010s. So check us out. We are the BusbyBoys.com. W-A-T, Busby Boys. You can check us out on iTunes as well. Wayne hosts a podcast with former uh, Premier League winner, former Man United center back and fullback. Uh, Paul Parker every single week. Uh, he's a tremendous guy. He has a tremendous insight on the game as well. And Paul, he's a, just a delight to hear from. So if you're a United fan or you're interested in hearing, you know, perspectives from a guy that's won the Premier League and he's been in teams which have been spearheaded by some of the most famous people in the Premier League, I would check out WAT Busby Boys. And you can check out my podcast, Florida Man Soccer Podcast. I cover all the Florida soccer, Orlando City, Tampa Bay Rowdies, Inter-Miami, uh, coming up next year as well and some of the developmental leagues as well so once again guys thank you so much make sure you guys subscribe here as well check us check them out and give okay. them a five-star rating tyler thanks so much man have a great one all right you too buddy thanks tyler thanks for listening to this week's episode of the football neophyte podcast with nate hughes and chris smith our theme song is something elated by broke for free Thanks to One Mission, a community development organization giving people in poverty the opportunity to earn a house by serving their community. If you like these podcasts, go to onemission.org donate. 
and make a donation to this amazing organization. 100% of your donation will go directly to projects and programs and be tied directly to a family. That's onemission.org slash donate. Recording and mixing everything is done by me, Nate Hughes, except for the intro, done by my beautiful wife. Happy anniversary, babe. I love you. Let's do this for another 50. And also, Chris, he helps host, even when he's on the golf course, drinking Bloody Marys and smoking cigars. Chris, thanks for your crazy questions. We are on both iTunes and Google Play. Please rate us, comment if you enjoy the pod. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Football Neophyte. That's at Football Neophyte without the E. We'll be back next week where we feature Everton. Until then, grace, peace, and love. Do your chant again.